What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The Memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon with the biggest play in Colorado football for years. And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website, and now your host for the See You at the Game podcast. With this episode, Brad and I will be turning our attention to the Pac-12 in general, and then to opponent number one, the UCLA Bruins in particular. The Pac-12 media poll has Oregon and USC as the favorites, with Cal and Arizona State the most likely challengers in each division. We'll look at the schedules, the matchups, and the potential for a Pac-12 team to make it to the college football playoff in an abbreviated season. Our focus will then shift to UCLA. If you are a reader of the See the Game website, you know that my weekly preview, my tips for the game, is published the Wednesday before each game, and such will be the case this fall. We are giving you here on the podcast a bit of a head start for the opener, with this podcast dropping the Sunday before the game. But look for the podcast review preview to be posted Wednesday mornings throughout the remainder of the season. The best way not to miss a podcast is to subscribe where you found this podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, pretty much anywhere you want to download a podcast. The season is almost upon us. See you as a surprise winner in the race for starting quarterback with head coach Carl Durrell going with senior Sam Neuer. The season will have many more surprises as it unfolds, and I hope you'll come along with us for the ride. Okay, we are talking with Brad Geiger in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Greetings, Brad. How are you doing today? Doing well. We have Finally turned the corner till something looking like fall or even winter. There are six inches of snow in Highlands Ranch and less smoke coming from the high country. So life is better. How are things in Bozeman, Montana? Well, we got our 10 inches of snow before we sent it down towards you guys. And it's been below zero the last couple of nights. So, so much for fall. Okay, so we are going to talk a little bit about the Pac-12. And then we're going to move on to CU's first game. Hard to believe that. After 11 months, Colorado actually gets to have a football game, but the UCLA game, November 7th, the calendar is turning, and we are fast approaching 
game number one of the 2020 season. But before we get to UCLA, let's talk a little bit about the Pac-12 in general. Uh, give a little bit of overview as to what we expect and how things should play out. Let's start with the North Division, the preseason media poll, which is kind of strange to talk about a preseason media poll when you're talking Halloween in the same conversation. But the preseason media poll has Oregon, number one, Cal, number two, Washington, then Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State, with Oregon being the prohibitive favorite of the 38 media members who voted in the preseason media poll. 35 of them had Oregon winning the division, and only three had Cal with no other teams getting any votes. So not a surprise right off the top to say that Oregon is the prohibitive favorite to win the North. No, it's that's not just based on reputation. Although they lost their quarterback, that is based on the fact that they, with the exception perhaps of SC, are the only team in the Pac-12 right now who is reloading rather than rebuilding. They just have that much more talent probably than anyone in the North. And apparently Mario Cristobal has found the magic formula because it looks like Oregon's in line to sign the highest rated class that they've ever signed, which is saying something from Oregon and going back to the Chip Kelly days that a top five class. So the rich are going to continue to get richer. So I guess the only real question when it comes to Oregon would be, can they run the table and win the Pac-12 and will a 7-0 Oregon team be invited to the college football playoff? Perhaps, perhaps, and perhaps. You know, Oregon does always have that strange tendency to lose one that perhaps you don't expect them to do. This compressed schedule certainly puts the pressure on it. But if Oregon runs the table and beats SC probably in the championship, that will likely be good enough. I mean, if we assume Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson are the other three representatives, who who in the, for example, the Big 12 is going to be Well, only, only Oklahoma State, yeah, yeah, only Oklahoma State right now has a legitimate shot, you would say, that to run their table and emerge as an undefeated Big 12 champion might have a, a say, but they probably don't have the same cachet as an undefeated Oregon team might have, even though they would have played several more games. So then the competition becomes Notre Dame from the ACC as the number two team of the ACC, or perhaps Georgia as the number two team out of the SEC. If they have a rematch in the SEC championship game, I guess, especially if both Alabama and Georgia go undefeated from here on, and then Georgia defeats Alabama in the SEC title game, so both of them have one loss, and the one loss would be to each other. It'd be hard for even an undefeated Oregon to say that they have a better resume than those two SEC schools. But as we've seen with Oklahoma, which was seemed to be a prohibitive favorite in the Big 12, all Oregon has to do is stumble once, and that ends the conversation. And fortunately for Oregon, they don't have to play Ohio State this year, the non-conference game got canceled, so they just have to run the table in the North Division. So that would lead us to which team would be the most likely candidate. 
Number two is Cal. And number three is Washington. Which of those two teams would you most likely think has the best shot to taking out Oregon? You know, Cal is such an interesting team. And it was it overperformed last year. There's no reason to really think they won't do it except for the fact that they never have. You know, again, it, in this weird year, in this shortened year, we have to figure out if stability and history and institutional memory is going to matter in the case of all this uncertainty. And some part of you wants to think that Washington has more of that than Cal. Even with the new coach, Jimmy Lake being the new coach, taking over for Chris Peterson. Of course, when Chris Peterson took over, you know, things went very well. So there's not the, and Jimmy Lake was a defensive coordinator last year. So it's not as if there is no continuity there on the Washington side of the ball. However, it is you know, a new coach and there are new things that need to be learned when you've got a new coach and it's tough to beat Oregon that has continuity of, of its coaching staff and a whole lot of talent. Now, Oregon, of course, did lose Penny Sewell opted out so he could be an NFL choice. Most preseason NFL draft picks have him in the top five, if not the top three of the first round. And a couple of defensive backs also opted out for Oregon. But again, as you noted, they tend to reload as opposed to have to rebuild. Cal, I I think they have the chance to play spoiler. I wouldn't be surprised if they rose up and beat Oregon. But again, that would be a surprise win. It would be a win that would knock Oregon out of the playoff consideration, not elevate Cal into the playoff consideration. I think Cal's probably in the same boat as Oklahoma State. Not only would they have to go 7-0, and but they would have to have a whole lot of other things east of the Mississippi fall their way. And that's possible, but not super likely. Washington has a history with Oregon. And Washington was excited that for the first time in a long time, Oregon didn't have a bye week before playing Washington. It, this year with the shortened schedule, nobody has any bye weeks in the Pac-12. So Oregon doesn't have two weeks to prepare for Washington, and Washington thinks that is an advantage. Now, number four on the list for the North Division is CU's crossover game, which is Stanford. Now, considering that Stanford finished 4-8 and eight last year, and is now ranked above Oregon State, which actually played above its normal way of playing last year. And then Washington State also has a new coach. So is Stanford too high? And like you and I have talked about in the past, you know, sometimes it's the, the color of the uniform or the name on the uniform more than the actual bodies in the uniform. Is Stanford rated too high at number four or based upon David Shaw's track record, was 4-8 and eight an aberration and something that CU fans should be worried about is uh, the Buffs' one and only crossover game. Well, I think you know, if you look at the polls, if you look at what the coaches think, they're essentially treating Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State as fungible. Same kind of goes for the bottom three in the South Division. So, yeah, it is... The experience and stability of Stanford, probably why they're ranked number four. That's as good a reason as any. You know, Washington State, for the last few years, is perceived to be a one-man band, and that band has headed south. 
<laughs> for warmer climates, so it's easy to discard them, but there's no reason to believe that Stanford's going to make any big leap other than the fact that it's the same people coaching. But their talent level does not feel like it's, it's certainly not up to the standards of an Oregon or even a Cal at this point. Yeah. And Washington State, as you noted, with Nick Rolovich coming over from Hawaii, taking over from Mike Leach, is, like Colorado, an unknown. And like Colorado, didn't have any spring practices. The two Washington schools in Colorado, ironically enough, the three schools with the new head coaches were the three schools that didn't get any spring practices this year. So as fate would have it. And, of course, Washington State gets to play a couple of home, well, three home games. And in November and December in Pullman, weird things can happen. So there may be some upsets there. I'm not sold on Oregon State at this point. They did play well. They are doing better. They are more competitive. That's a fair statement for the Beavers. But being in 40 miles away from Eugene and under the very large shadow of the University of Oregon, Oregon State is definitely at a disadvantage in terms of recruiting, definitely in terms of ability to attract attention from recruits. And it's going to show, and it has shown pretty much for its entire history, Oregon State, Washington State down at the bottom, that's a pick We'll see how Stanford fares after a four and eight year under David Shaw. So again, the North Division, the way the preseason media has it, Oregon, Cal, Washington, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. In the South Division, not surprisingly, USC was the favorite. Uh, 32 out of the 38 media pollsters or media writers had USC winning the South Division. Arizona State was the pick of two writers and finished second in the polling. Utah, the defending champ, actually did receive four votes as the number one team in the South, but finished third in the overall point total. Out of those three, well, let me put it this way. Out of the two below USC, Arizona State and Utah, which would you most likely think has the best shot at USC considering, first of all, Arizona State's playing at USC in game one, 9 a.m. kickoff on November 7th. So if Herm Edwards is going to make a statement, they get a chance to do it before pretty much any other team in the Pac-12 is even going to be able to see the field. Yeah, and in the meantime, Utah gets to start off with uh, Arizona and UCLA before they have to play USC. Um, doesn't that have to mean that Utah has got a slightly better chance of knocking off USC with more lead time and you know a home game to start against what everybody seems to acknowledge is going to be an abysmal Arizona team and a UCLA team that, as we will discuss later, is not generating a great deal of excitement. The schedule seems to work out better for Utah. Let's just put it that way. So I can understand the four um, voters who put them above USC. USC has to come into um, Utah to play that game. So while I would expect USC will be the favorite, I think Utah has enough going on that they have a decent chance at this, and their crossover game is Oregon State. Well, USC's crossover game is Washington State, 
and they get uh, they get to play the Cougars at home. They don't have to worry about playing in 10 inches of snow in Pullman. So uh, the top two teams, or potentially the top two teams in the South Division, get the bottom two teams in the North Division. So it works out pretty well in that sense um, for those two teams. Arizona State, I don't know. Um, Herm Edwards came in. We all made fun of him. Um, it's hard to pretend that we didn't. We thought it was a, a ridiculous hire. <coughs> you know, he came into his first press conference and got a question from a writer from the, what was it, the Sun Devil Digest or something like that. And he says, well, all religions are welcome here. You know, he didn't even really understand that Sun Devil Digest was something that had to do with, I don't know, his team. But that being said, he has gotten in some good recruiting classes and he has at least in his first couple of years made a, a very good impression and got some believing that they are a dark horse team to win the Pac-12 South and they are on the, they're not ranked at this point, but if they beat USC in game one, they will certainly will be ranked and will have a chance then to run the table and represent the Pac-12 South. So we'll see. Uh, of course, how can you take seriously a, a head coach who has yet to beat the University of Colorado? Now that could be taken one of two ways that, uh, says something negative about CU, but uh, also, you know, says something about, well, if Herm Edwards has trouble beating Colorado, then how can he be taken legitimately as a, you know, a, a contender for national consideration? But they have, I mean, their schedule works out so well for them, assuming they can get up for USC and prepare for USC. Then they get Cal coming in. You know, they win those two games. Suddenly they are a top 25, top 20 team. Um, and then they play the rest of their games in Arizona. Yeah. Um, you know, they are, with the exception of the trip to Colorado, they will face less snow than any other team. <laughs> well, we'll see if uh, late November, you know, early December, it works to Colorado's favor and playing at home in the snow in front of no fans, which is something that we're all going to have to get used to um, when we're seeing a Folsom field that is empty. And as far as I know, there's no cutouts. There's no extraneous stuff going to go on in the stands as opposed to what we've seen being used in other stadia around the country. So, um, Maybe, you know, since the South Park guys, you know, put all their cutouts in Mile High Stadium that they can let see you borrow them and, you know, put them in the student section and Folsom Field. That would be fine with me. If we're not going to have anybody there, we might as well have something to attract attention. So uh, once we talk about we're going to talk about UCLA specifically because that's game number one, but. The one team at the bottom of the Pac-12 South, at least in terms of preseason prognostications, is Arizona. And while it is nice to not be picked last um, in the Pac-12 South by the media, it is worth noting that in the 10 years that Colorado's been in the Pac-12, 
Steve's been picked to finish something other than last only twice. And those two years, Colorado finished last. So it may not be a good omen that he was picked to finish fifth this year. But from everything that's going on with Arizona and all the defections and losing some of their top players, including Schooler, who went to play in Texas, um, it doesn't look good for Kevin Sumlin. Um, even though he has a better record right now, he's – in his first two years, he's 9-15, and 15, Chip Kelly's 7-17, seven and 17, but it certainly would seem that Kevin Sumlin is not a favorite in Tucson, and even in a strike, well, not strike, even in a shortened season, um, his job may be in jeopardy if he finishes 0-7. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, that, that the money comes with expectations. He knew that when he came. Um, and he probably underestimated the challenge of building that program and maintaining that program. Um, so it is, you know, obviously it will be very fascinating to watch um, how he can make progress on that team. But it just, it doesn't feel like the talent's there to do much of anything. When you, when Arizona State's moving up, um, as you said, it's tough to have two good teams in the same state. Yeah, and Arizona is not looking at too helpful of a schedule starting at Utah, then playing at home against USC, then playing at Washington. So if the Wildcats are anything other than 0-3 in the first half of the season or the six-game season before we get to that seventh crossover game. Uh, if they're anything other than 0-3, it would be a surprise. And drawing a game at Seattle is certainly not helpful to Kevin Sumlin's cause, opposed to Colorado, which drew Stanford on the road. And the other road game that CU was supposed to play this year was at Washington. So those could have been flipped. I think CU got the the better end of that deal, and Arizona kind of got the fuzzy end of the lollipop when it comes to the, the crossover game. So, yeah, it, it definitely does not look good for Arizona this year. But then again, like Colorado fans, hope springs eternal, and you never know what's going to happen until you actually start playing. So let's turn our attention then to the fourth-place team, at least in the preseason poll, which is the UCLA Bruins, which is Colorado's first opponent on November 7th. Now, for those of you that might not be familiar with the See at the Game website, and I find that kind of hard to believe at this point because this podcast is in its first year. The website's been around for almost a dozen years now. So my guess is that you probably came to this podcast from the website. So if that's the case and you're familiar with my week-to-week predictions it's uh, under the acronym TIPS, with T standing for talent, I for intangibles, P for preparation or schedule, and S for statistics. I do a week-by-week prediction for the upcoming game, and we're going to do kind of a little bit of a verbal tips for the UCLA game for those of you that enjoy podcast. So let's start with talent. UCLA has at quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Dorian Thompson-Robinson is 
and maybe you can disagree with me on this, I think it's kind of the Stephen Montez of UCLA, that each year there are expectations of improvement, and yet in his first couple of years, after a wild start to his career, there was kind of the lack of a rise in Dorian Thompson-Robinson's trajectory, and it's been one of the reasons why UCLA has struggled. And it, it feels like, and again, to extend the Montez uh, analogy, it feels like he continues to have difficulty grasping the offense. Chip Kelly's offenses are notoriously challenging, and he just... It doesn't seem like he always grasps exactly what he's supposed to be doing there uh, when he gets out on the field. And one has to think, you know, certainly he's got experience at the position, but that is not the kind of quarterback that you were going to be excited to have a limited lead-up time to the season. And he did have some decent stats last year. UCLA was sixth in the nation, or I'm sorry, sixth in the Pac-12, 42nd in the nation in passing. But with his 21 passing touchdowns came 12 interceptions. And like to your point, there were times where he just did not make good decisions. And that was with having a 1,000-yard rusher and Joshua Kelly to hand the ball off to. This year, the projected starter is Demetric Felton, who had touchdowns of 75-plus yards via rush, reception, and return last year. So he's obviously a player with some speed and some talent, but... Like Colorado, there are some questions there as to whether or not the running game is going to be a dominance. Uh, they only have a couple of offensive linemen returning. And, again, it's you turn to the passing game, and a couple of receivers are back. But nothing that really jumps out and just scares you about the UCLA offense. You know, they're certainly talented, certainly Recruits that have higher star ratings than we would find at the University of Colorado, because that's always the case. Not that we're concerned about negative biases against the University of Colorado, but UCLA tends to have higher rated classes than does CU. And so their star players are four-star players, a couple of five-star players, but that hasn't proven out on the field. Is there anything about the UCLA offense that makes you think that the Colorado defense couldn't at least, if not contain, at least ability to be competitive? No. I mean, well, they have, they have experienced receivers, whereas we have inexperienced secondary. But they also are starting three brand-new offensive linemen. It will, again, as we discussed in the defensive preview, will require the front seven to make up for the back four. But in terms of lining up head-to-head ability to win, no. There's no absolute evidence that their offense is vastly more talented than our defense or even substantially more talented. Yeah. And the defensive side of the ball is, at least from a statistical standpoint, and it's hard to say this, actually worse than Colorado. We talked a little bit last week when we talked about the defense in the podcast about Colorado being ranked 100th or worst in many defensive statistical categories. The same holds true for the UCLA defense. And whereas CU has seven returning starters on defense, UCLA only has three. 
So what is about the irresistible force and the immovable object? We're going to have resistible forces and movable objects when it comes to the UCLA-Colorado game. Which team can be better at exploiting the defense of the opposition? So as we've talked about in the offensive preview, if Colorado was going to have an ideal opponent to open a season with in a season where there's no spring ball, you don't have a starting quarterback known heading into fall camp, which is the first time that's happened in Colorado in seven, eight years. If you're going to have a new starting quarterback, you want to start him at home, whether it's in front of no fans or cardboard cutouts, whatever it is. If you're going to have a new starting quarterback playing, you want to start him at home. And you have, want to have them go against the defense that struggled last year. And UCLA checks all those boxes. And they struggled against the run. And, you know, early indications out of CU practices, and, which are closed, and therefore we're getting what may be slightly biased reports from the coaches, indicate that the running game feels solid. And you know, we certainly all expected that. And uh, if we walk out and the first couple CU drives are line them up, push them off the ball, and try to do three yards in a cloud of dust, no one will be surprised, including, I suspect, Jim Kelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, you would certainly expect the first couple of series for Colorado to be run up the middle or short passes. You're not going to put your passer in a situation where they are going to be expected to make too many snap decisions. So can that work and make that a 60-minute offense? Well, we'll see how it goes. As far as intangibles are concerned, I'm not putting too much credence in the Carl Durrell playing against his former team. That's true. He was the coach at UCLA, had a 35-27 record, got fired. Certainly, there would be some personal motivation there, but I can't see that carrying over to the team as far as, well, let's win one for our coach. It's like they barely even know the guy. Um, they've had a 20 fall camp practices and a lot of Zoom meetings. Not exactly the bonding moment that you would expect to say, okay, we're going to go out there and we're going to win this one for coach because of what the guys on the other side of the field did to him 15 years ago. So. Well. And, and Darrell doesn't seem to be selling that version mm. of events either. His version of motivation seems much more internal to the team. Talking about competing for the team, he's done a very good job in trying to relate to the concerns of 18, 19, and 20-year-olds in a bizarre circumstance. Him rah-rahing because of his relationship with UCLA goes against all of that. He's trying to deal with the wishes of his young players and what they need to win. And if you need more incentive than to win your first game back at CU, again, in extraordinary circumstances, I just don't think he's going to find it in let's beat UCLA. Yeah. On the other side of the field, Chip Kelly, while he may not be in danger uh, for his job this year, Certainly no one in seven seasons would change that narrative, but in a shortened season with the money that's involved and the money that's being lost from the lack of television revenue and loss of ticket revenue, 
you wouldn't suspect that his job is necessarily on the line when it comes to playing University of Colorado on November 7th. But if you look at UCLA's schedule in terms of they go to Utah or they play Utah in their home opener the next week, um, and then they play Oregon on the road. Their crossover game is Oregon on the road. So, again, the scheduling folks did not do them any favors. The bottom three teams in the Pac-12 South get Oregon, Washington, and Stanford all on the road. So no conspiracy theories at all. We'll just let that go as it is. But you look at their schedule and you certainly think that UCLA and their team members, the players, would certainly say, okay, we have to get off on a good foot here. We have to be Colorado Otherwise, we're also, like Arizona, staring 0-3 right in the face. Yeah, except that, you know, CU has the advantage of there's no team they're going to look be, look past. Chip Kelly has a reputation for being a bit arrogant. Chip Kelly has a reputation for losing games that he perhaps shouldn't because he's looking ahead to the next one. And so if there's an outside chance that UCLA might be a little flat coming out because they've looked – Past particularly at that Oregon and Utah game, I I would say that the intangibles actually favor CU by a slight amount. Okay, well, and the schedule that they do have Utah as their home opener, but it's also a Friday night game. So, in terms of preparation, if you're the UCLA coaching staff, not that at this stage of the the world where we're talking about not playing football for 11 months and finally getting a chance to play football and having one less day of preparation for game two is a huge disadvantage. But you'd certainly think that they would have some eye towards game two with one less day of preparation, seeing as they're going to be playing on the road. So they're going to lose a little bit coming back to UCLA and then have to play on a Friday night. So, yeah, it's it's a you know six one half dozen of the other on the first game of the season. Both teams are, should be well motivated. Both teams should be very prepared and with their scripted first fifteen plays or whatever it is that they're going to have, they should have been practicing them to death. This gets back to my old bitching about playing Colorado State the first game of the year, where the Rams played their Super Bowl against Colorado in game one and had basically all of fall camp to prepare for one game. And fortunately, when we do get back to playing the Rams in 2023, it's the third game of the year. So Rick George saw the wisdom of, yeah, fine, we can play him every once in a while, but we're not going to play you the first game of the season anymore. And that's kind of where we're at with UCLA. This is not the Super Bowl for either team, but it's an important game for both teams, and you'd think that they would be well-prepared for that game. Statistic-wise, and again, this is something that once we get into the season, we'll pay a lot more of attention to because it'll be a lot more relevant. Um, looking at statistics from 2019 is all we have to look at at this point. We don't even get stats from the scrimmages um, anymore, so we can't even nitpick over who had six carries and who had five carries in the spring game or who had four catches and that type of thing in a fall scrimmage because we're not even allowed those statistics anymore. So I think just getting back to what we talked about in terms of overall statistics, both teams have 
mediocre to less than what you'd hope for offenses and defenses that have proven to be, well, pretty poor, at least from a statistical standpoint. Now, you can make the argument that CU's defense rose up in November of last year in the games against Washington and Stanford, played much better and kept those teams below their yearly averages and winning those games. Will that carry over into year two? To be determined. Well, especially, well, same defensive coordinator, different staff. You know, it, it, it feels like it feels like a tighter game than I think most people will give it credit for. It feels like a tighter game that makes you think that, sadly, perhaps the big plays might do that, and that has not been CU's forte in the last few years. Uh, one would hope with a new coaching session something might be different might happen. But that's the biggest concern is that if we can, you know, the, the running back, can the UCLA running back you know, breaks one of those 60-yarders or that kind of thing, it doesn't feel like CU's got the kind of offense at this point, for what we know, that's going to be able to play from two touchdowns down. Yeah, and there's no LaVisca Chanel to take care of the ball on fourth and one or to ram the ball over from the wildcat position from the four yard line when you need a, when you need a touchdown, somebody's going to have to step up and become the guy for the Colorado offense. And right now that's to be determined. And with a quarterback situation that is murky at best, at least until the opener is played, there is some question marks there. So, Put you on the spot then. CU is about a six-point underdog to UCLA. So what would your prediction for the game be? Where would you come down on game one, UCLA at Colorado on November 7th? This was one of the games that we thought CU could steal. This is one of the games that we think matches up well for us. Those of us who live in Colorado now are allowed to bet on the games if we choose. <laughs> I am unlikely to put money on this game, but I will say that if we can keep the game at 2017, 24 21, CU has every reason to think they can win that. UCLA scores over 30 points, it could be ugly. Yeah, it's. I've gone back and forth over this since the schedule was announced. There are many reasons to doubt Colorado. If you look at almost any prognosticator that is not a Buff fan, there is very little hope for Colorado, mostly because of the new coach and already making excuses for Colorado, saying, well, Carl Durrell wasn't hired till February. He doesn't have a quarterback. They didn't get his spring practices in. Therefore, Colorado is terrible. Perhaps that will play out. Perhaps that will prove true. But... We have to hope that that will not be the case. I I tend to see this as a 21-20 type of game that could go either way. That I think Colorado, if I were to be a betting person, and I'm I'm not, but if I were, you know, six-point spread with a home underdog with a bunch of unknowns, and you'd go with the underdog. The odds would be in Sue's favor, at least in terms of covering the spread. But whether or not Colorado can win the game, I'm not sold on that right now. I am going to put down 
Colorado winning the game 21-20 just because I have a 40-year history with the University of Colorado and I want to see Carl Durrell succeed. And not that me picking against them will change the spinning of the earth in any way, shape, or form, but at least until proven otherwise, I'm going to be the optimist and I'm going to pick CU to win 21-20. to I think that's a completely reasonable way that this game could work out. I think it judges how these teams look and how they're going to go to the extent that we can in these times. So I could see, I fear I'm looking more at a 27-21 UCLA win. Right on the right on the betting line. So you're just going to get a push out of your uh, your little <laughs> bet there at the at Colorado. So. Well, this has been one of our longer segments. The in-season segments are going to be shorter just because of the time crunch. The way I'm going to work it is Brad and I are going to talk early in the week. We're going to do a review slash preview with the hope of having it posted on Wednesdays of game week going forward. So if you're not already a subscriber, please subscribe and you will be alerted when the new ones are posted. So we will actually be talking to you again probably about what would be the 10th or 11th of November when the next podcast will drop with a quick review of what we saw in November 7th's game against UCLA and a quick preview, the tips for the Stanford game. So, Brad, I look forward to talking to you soon, and hopefully we will have a Colorado victory to talk about in game one. Well, we will have football to talk about, which is very different than everything else we have had. And that is the exciting and interesting part of what we're doing now. And uh, hopefully it will bring some light in an otherwise somewhat gloomy year. Very good. We'll leave it at that. Thank you, as always, for listening to our podcast. With the 2020 season now finally upon us, we will have actual games to talk about soon and not just forecasts. As a reminder, the See You at the Game website is updated multiple times daily so that you can always check in to get the latest news on your buffs there. The podcast, which has been posted weekly on Sundays for the past few weekends, will be moving to Wednesday mornings. Each new podcast will contain a review of CU's most recent game and a preview, your tips for the game, of the next contest. This is season number one for the podcast, so your emails, which you can send to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com, your comments, and your reviews are all much appreciated. We'll be talking again soon. I hope you'll be with us for the next seven weeks as we guide you through CU Football 2020. Go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again 
See you at the game. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.